Disclaimer, I am a counseling student, I am not a mental health professional, and I cannot give or offer mental health services. You are listening to Good You. I'm your host, Samantha, and today I'm going to be sitting down with Emily Hartenstein and discuss substance abuse. So this topic is definitely something people are familiar with whether you or someone you love or someone you know indirectly has struggled with substance abuse. Today, we're going to be able to dive into what it's like to have an addiction and what it's like to overcome that addiction and all of the stereotypes against people who uh, have a substance abuse issue. So I hope you're ready for today's episode. Thank you, Emily, again, for your vulnerability and your wisdom on this episode. I know it'll help a lot of people. So let's get started. Okay, so I'm here with Emily. How are you doing today? I'm good. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for offering to be on. I appreciate, you know, you wanting to come and chat about substance abuse today. Absolutely. So, well, first off, let's tell us a little about yourself and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Emily. I live in Metairie, Louisiana. I just started, um, or I just got a new job working on a construction uh, company. I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm 24, got a lot of, or 25 actually, got a lot of animals. Um, but yeah. Fun fact, we are cousins by marriage. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We are. And yeah, so that's a little, just a fun fact about this episode, but, uh, so what made you want to come on and talk about, uh, substance abuse? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I myself personally have struggled with substance abuse um, for uh, quite a few years now. I did finally find sobriety last year when I was 24. And I have a little bit um, over a year of sobriety, of continuous sobriety from all mind altering substances. Um, So it's obviously a topic that's close to my heart. And I know a lot of people that struggle with it. And I know that there's negative stigmas around it. Um, So I was excited to have this opportunity. So I want to make sure, like, is substance abuse the term that normally gets used? Um, I want to make sure that I'm using correct language. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I mean, I substance abuse, I think of it more of like a blanket term, Mm -hmm. you know, because, I mean, inside of substance abuse, there's. Um, you know, there's the particulars of, um, alcoholism and addiction, um, which I, I struggle with both. And addiction is usually what people use when they're talking about, um, like drugs per se, Mm -hmm. but substance abuse, I think of alcohol and drugs and other things as all substances. So, yeah. Okay. Perfect. I just want to make sure that we're using correct language and absolutely. um, Yes. So can you talk a little bit about um, the history with it and how it's affected you personally? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did not really get into any substances or alcohol um, until I was about 17 um, when I was introduced to it and kind of it was made available to me. Um, and pretty much the minute that I was introduced to it, I quickly realized that I have a problem with it and I'm not using it like my peers. Um, so, you know, three years go by and I'm at college and I've got my freedom. And by the age of 20, I uh, had some consequences and I decided to get sober for the first time. And, um, you know, I tried sobriety through a 12 step program and um, wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't willing, I wasn't ready to get honest. Um, I really didn't understand what it meant to be sober from all mind altering substances. Um, so I went back out after about 10 months or a year and um, relapsed is what we say and um, stayed out for about three years um, doing my thing. And, you know, it got to, I got to a breaking point, um, March of 2021, where um, I couldn't go on like that any longer. Sorry about my dog. She's beginning. That's okay. Um, She's adorable. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I found um, that 12 step program again. And over the last, it's been about 15 months, I've had continuous sobriety from all the mind altering substances and my life has completely changed. Um, and I know that some other questions like go into it, but, um, there's, there's nothing that I have tried and there's nothing that I could do on my own to stop drinking and using drugs. Um, I needed the help of a program and of fellows and all that, that comes with it. Um, so it's been a long road, but I'm really happy with my life today. Um, I wouldn't be here without the resources that I found. Well, I want to start off by saying congratulations for it. it sounds you. about like 15 months. So, yeah. so yeah. congrats on that. I know it's never easy and, um, we'll, we'll definitely dive into that section of it. Um, yeah. I want to ask the first time you went and got sober, mm-hmm. um, back when you were in your twenties or, yeah. or right when you were 20, right. um, right. was that your decision alone or was it kind of, um, cause you said you weren't really ready and I'm, I'm right. wondering, was it, you decided it then realized you weren't ready or was it someone yeah. that kind of brought it on to you? Yeah. Um, it was my decision. Um, cause I kind of knew about 12 step programs, but And I I thought like, okay, like I've had enough, like I should like change my life. And I gave it my best shot, but it was through like being in um, the 12 step program and like being in that fellowship that I realized that like, I still had stuff I was holding on to and I still had reservations and um, I wasn't ready to give it up. I was 20 years old. I hadn't even had a legal drink. So I was just very much in that mindset, like, I'm going to live a long life and I've got time to do this. Like I can go make some more wreckage, which is like, was a very dangerous decision for me, you know, um, because there's no telling what could have happened to me with the way that I was um, leading my life. And um, there's a lot of depression that comes with substance abuse. So that's really where I was last March was I was in a very dark place mentally and um, something in my head, which I now believe is my higher power. Um, I was blessed with, um, that grace to give it one more shot and to seek help. Um, so I hope that answers that question. Big time. And I appreciate you saying that, um, the fact that you have time to cause more wreckage before 
And I think that a, a lot of people can probably relate to that statement of, well, I mean, I can just go do the 12 steps later and not yeah. worry about it now. Yeah. 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 Which is well, dangerous because life is very fragile, yeah. you know, and um, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I want to be sober for what tomorrow will bring so I can be present for whatever it is and make the best choices for myself. Like I'm not, I don't want to play games with this life. It's, it's not promised. Yeah, definitely. And I think that some people tend to think, think that it's that simple when you say it, oh, I can just do this now and then worry about it later. But I think it's harder to think of consequences for future when right. you're just looking at certain aspects. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned negative stigmas associated mm-hmm. with su- substance abuse and addiction. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about some of those negative st- stigmas that are associated with it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the most common one and um, the one that like, I just, I guess, hear the most is that we're worthless and we're hopeless. And um, that's absolutely not the truth. Um, you know, it, it is a hopeless situation for somebody that's struggling with addiction and substance abuse. Um, but we, we deserve help just like the next person, you know, um, I think of addiction and substance abuse and alcoholism as a disease. And we, um, we deserve the best chance, you know, we're not worthless people. And um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you know, that, that person struggling and, and me struggling, like if I can put a face to addiction, um, like think of me as your loved one, you know, and so that stranger that you see, like they're, they're not like somebody out there loves them, you know? And, um, it's just, it's, it's a really hard pill to swallow to like, know that people think of us as that even like being in the year that we are. Um, but yeah, it's that. And those are the, those are the main ones worthless and hopeless. And also that we make the choice to become addicts and alcoholics and have a substance abuse issue. Um, it's absolutely not a choice. Like I did not choose to run my life into the ground. It's something that pretty much takes you by the throat and it creates lies in your head and um the delusion that like it'll be different this time um and i think that's a really common misconception too is that you know we're choosing this life nobody is going to choose to live a miserable existence you know um it's just once you get into it it's very hard to break out of it on your own will like i don't i don't i don't have my own will is gone when i'm in the grips of addiction yeah I think it has to do with a lot with just ignorance around yeah. addiction, like until it affects you personally right? and it's in your life, you, right? it's easy to say that, um, and, and I'd, I'd like to go into talking about how addiction is a disease. Yeah. I think people get so confused by that term. Right. And that's where I've, he- I feel like I've heard a lot of uh, controversies on both sides, right? Yeah. And yeah. definitely in the mental health profession. is considered a disease. Mm -hmm. And can you talk about that a little? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, I think of it and my peers think of it as a disease of the body and mind, you know, when it's like, well, how can you have, and and like a, a spiritual disease, um, it's, we think of it as an allergy. When I take in alcohol or other substances, I do not react normally, you know, and the, the common thing that we compare it to, do just to kind of make it a little easier for people to understand is 
if somebody has a peanut allergy and they break out in a rash or hives, that person is not going to eat peanuts, you know, because they don't react normally to it. Um, but with, with us, we take in alcohol or other substances and we do not react normally. So that's the, that's the, um, physical part of the disease, Mm -hmm. but then what comes in, you know, okay. So I said somebody with a peanut allergy, isn't going to eat peanuts because they know they react differently. So that's where the mind piece comes in. I know that I do not react normally to substances, but my brain tells me, yeah, just try it anyway. Like it's going to be different this time, you know? So that that's the mind part. Um, and then I mentioned, um, the spiritual part because, substances blocked me off from anything spiritual. And um, in, in, in the years that I was um, using substances, I was always trying to like fix myself in other ways, you know, doing yoga or reading self-help books and trying to get in touch with the universe. Um, but I couldn't because I was completely blocked off. That's what substances do. They alter your mind. They alter um, how you see reality um, for anybody that uses them, but especially somebody that's consistently using them and has a substance abuse problem. So, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a, a great, I, I like that you brought it to physical, mental, and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do like that peanut ana- analogy. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I don't think anyone who sees someone with an allergy is gonna think of them as any less like they are with right. the peanut addiction. Exactly. So that's, that's a great one. I'm going to have to steal that one from you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, who gets affected um, when someone is addicted besides the uh, person who is addicted to the substance? Absolutely. I mean, it affects everybody around um, the person struggling with the substance abuse, um, family and friends um, to no fault of their own comp- like usually don't understand, you know, especially if they don't have the problem themselves, you know, it's why, why, um, why can't you have just one? Why do you keep drinking when you're saying you're not? Um, and again, it's no fault to people that don't understand. And like, I don't want to use the word ignorance, but it's, it's just a lack of knowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. and if lack of experience with it. Um, and then of course, you know, work and employers, um, again, no fault to the employer, but people don't, I feel like people don't have enough knowledge um, because they just don't, you know, it's not something that people think that they really need to put any time or effort into understanding and business has to go on. Businesses has, have to keep running, even if an employee is struggling with um, substance abuse, but there are ways to help um, a loved one or an employee that might be struggling, you know, and, um, it's, it's not an emotional appeal. That's not really going to get through to us. Um, it's, it's, it's seeking out those resources, whether it's rehab or a 12 step program, um, that can really be effective and, um, just being there for us. Um, it's really hard to watch somebody struggle with addiction, obviously. Um, and we can't like, I don't expect somebody else to like come down to my level and like be in the trenches with me, but just like an understanding and an unconditional love, if it's a family member or a friend, um, I find really helpful, but it does affect everybody. There's no denying that. Um, it just, it trickles out and, uh, but there's a way out of it for everyone. And there are resources for 
these um, person addicted to substances and there's resources for family members and friends and even employers um, to be able to gain knowledge or um, get into recovery from it. Yeah. And I think that was a great point with people don't, people who aren't involved in it, whether they don't have the uh, addiction themselves or they don't have a loved one with it, they, for people, they don't see a reason to do research into it. And um, that's, that's a problem. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that can go into other situations as well, not just substance abuse. And I think we need to start getting more comfortable with uncomfortable manners that maybe don't have to do with us at this exact moment, but it creates these negative stereotypes and stigmas because we're not willing to do the research. Right. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about how you overcame addiction and um, the outside resources that you used. Absolutely. Um, So my story doesn't include um, rehab or IOP or anything like that. I really just knew of um, the 12 step programs and sought those out and began going to meetings and um, working the 12 steps that I feel like more people are becoming familiar with, um, which is, I think is a great thing because they can be, they're applicable to all aspects of life. Um, But I really dove into um, the 12 step programs that I'm involved in. And through that, I, um, the way the steps are laid out, you know, it, it, it gets us um, to realize that our lives are unmanageable and we're powerless over this thing. Um, Finding, uh, a higher power that you can vibe with. It's not, it doesn't have to be a one higher power, the higher power you grew up with. Um, you know, really looking at um, what we've done in our lives and the people we've hurt and, um, you know, being able to face the people that we've hurt. But the biggest um, part of why I have found freedom through um, 12 step programs is that I go out and help others. You know, I'm of service to somebody else struggling with uh, substance abuse or just anybody in the world really, because it doesn't stop. Like I'm not in this little microcosm, just helping people that are like me. Um, I need to be able to be helpful and kind and loving and tolerant to everyone in the world. And it's really difficult, you know, but um, cause I mean, the world's crazy, but just um, being of service and trying to be my honest my most honest self, um, is huge and leaning on the fellowship I've found through the 12 step programs, um, learning how to do life from people that have been doing this for a couple of years, you know, and, um, I really found meaningful friendships, um, in these rooms because we're like-minded people trying to solve our common problems. Yeah. Do do you feel like in the midst of addiction Mm -hmm. that it's, um, difficult to feel like people are understand you at all. And it's it's that feeling like that you now get to be that person for somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the grips of addiction, it feels very, very lonely. Even if, even if people are trying to tell you that they're there for you or they support you, I kind of describe it. Like I had earmuffs on, you know, my addiction put earmuffs on me and I couldn't hear that. And it was a very lonely place to be. And I isolated myself, um, but yeah, now being a part of this fellowship and being able to help other people, it's a really wonderful experience. And it's also heartbreaking because not everybody um, finds sobriety and finds freedom through um, the 12-step programs, unfortunately. 
um, but it is um, a beautiful thing to be a part of. Well, that's really amazing that you're able to take that and uh, find something that brings you just fulfillment in life and keeps you motivated to keep going. But I actually, there's a few people in my program that are Mm -hmm. uh, recovered addicts. Is Mm -hmm. that the right term? And they want to go into substance abuse counseling. And I just, it's, it's really just amazing to see people work through something in life and then use that right for their future. It is. It is. It's awesome. Um, can you talk about things that weren't helpful to you? I, I know you talked about the earmuff analogy and how people um, just saying things aren't enough. Yeah. Like, what was not helpful? What made you kind of curl away? Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely. Like I mentioned emotional appeals earlier and it's mm-hmm. not it, that also has to do with the earbuffs, you know, because if, if a family member is like begging me or questioning me, like, why can't you do this normally? Or why do you have to act like this? Or why do you do that? Um, it, it, it breaks, it breaks the addict's heart to hear Mm -hmm. that, you know, but that's, that's not enough. And it almost like adds fuel because now we know that we're hurting somebody. So we use our coping mechanism to numb that you know, and I mean, obviously it's kind of like a self-sabotage. Yeah. 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 And I mean, um, shaming obviously isn't, um, helpful at all. And, you know, it's especially like with a family member or a close friend, when you see somebody actively, um, destroying their life and like, they're not taking your suggestions. It's very, anxiety inducing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you might say things that you don't mean, but, um, you know, like we're sensitive people, like people that deal with substance abuse. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you shame us, it's not going to be helpful. Um, that's, I I don't really know how else to expand on that. Um, I mean, I imagine there's already enough self-shame and self-guilt that it just doesn't need to be added onto. Right. Right. And like, but also like coddling us, you know, I'm describing these things that like make us feel bad about ourselves, Mm -hmm. but like coddling us is also not helpful, you know? And we, um, we call it, why can't I, um, enabling behavior, enabling, I couldn't think of the word. Yeah. So like enabling us is like not a good idea at all. Um, so it's like, I feel like I'm kind of like making contradictory, um, statements. There's a balance. Yeah. There's definitely a balance, definitely a balance for sure. Like the, I'm here for you. I want what's best for you and I'm going to help what, with what I can do, find something that's going to work for you to get through this. Right. And also like detaching with love is um, something that I think about a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can still be there for somebody, but you don't have to be in that hole with them, you Mm -hmm. know, but letting them know, like, I'm here when you want help and we can do this if you want, but like, you don't need to sabotage yourself by jumping in there. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people from, um, instances I've seen and heard of are scared of that one part is that, yeah. well, if I let go, then, then I lose this person. And then they think I don't love them and that they think I don't care for them. What would you say to someone who's had that thought process? Absolutely. Um, you know, it might feel like that, um, for both parties, it might feel like that, 
for the person that's trying to help. And it might feel like that for the addict. Um, but I guarantee from my own experience that once that addict finds recovery and finds freedom through whatever avenue it is, um, they will realize what that person was doing, you know, and they won't um, feel like they were abandoned and they will hopefully one day realize that this person that had to separate themselves for a period of time, just loved them unconditionally, but didn't need, they couldn't put themselves in harm's way because that that's what happens basically. And I think it would just be a good place to add in here that it's not selfish and I I think the best advice um, that I could say is to also seek mental health help yourself uh, being within the family to just understand, well, one, be able to understand more of what's going on in the family dynamic and situation Mm -hmm. and to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, So what changes did you have to make to maintain sobriety? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the main change was, and like, I kind of like wrote notes before we got on, but, and like the main thing that I was thinking about was at the end of my addiction, I did not have any friends, you know, I was completely isolated. I did not, I either burned bridges or I didn't want anybody around, you know, so I really had no friendships. Um, so, and I thought like people were, um, I just like, I didn't, I did not want to be associated with anybody. So coming in, um, I was kind of guarded, but I also saw, um, in the fellowship that these people had the same issues as me and it made me get honest with them. And I have the most meaningful relationships today with people that I've only known for 15 months, you know, and these people know who I am and how I work and I would trust them with my life. Um, you know, some people, um, uh, like think that, or, I mean, some people need to go to rehab and like, like separate themselves from, um, society. That's not something that I needed to do, but that is something that, um, people do need to do sometimes. Um, we don't, or I don't like encourage like doing a geographical change, you know, because wherever I go, I'm going to be there. Um, I had to change the way that I thought about things. I was pretty self-deprecating and, you know, thought I was very unworthy um, of anything good. And through the work that I've done in my program, um, I've realized that those thoughts were just part of my addiction and Mm -hmm. they were lies basically. Um, And like those, that change and me being able to trust people again, didn't come like from myself, you know, it was through the work that I've done in the the 12 step program. So, yeah. And I really like that. You said, wherever I go, I'm going to be there. Yeah. Because I think when I formed that question, I'm thinking, you know, going back to same group of friend dynamics and um, around the same restaurants or whatever. Um, And that's a really great point because it doesn't just leave your body if you leave right. the state. And also you're kind of isolating yourself exactly. from nobody, knowing it, no one. Yeah. So what challenges do you and others often have uh, who overcome substance abuse face when maintaining sobriety in everyday life? Absolutely. 
Um, so when I was thinking about that question, I was kind of thinking about, um, and I feel like it's just kind of like a misconception that people have, mm-hmm. um, of people that struggle with substance abuse is like the main thing being like, we can't be around alcohol or any other triggers like ever again. Um, which is not the truth. You know, I still, I can still go to bars and hear live music and I can go to festivals and I can be at a crawfish boil and, um, I can walk down the liquor aisle at a grocery store. So, I mean, some, some people do struggle for a little bit with like that, those being triggering atmospheres or a triggering aisle. Um, but something that me and my fellows really talk about is if I'm spiritually fit and I've got a reason to be at that bar to hear this music or be at that festival, I can be there, you know, and, um, really just this, I guess something that I'm also thinking about is the struggles that I like have today now that I'm removed from, um, the substances is that my addiction manifests in other ways, you know? Um, I can get super addicted to a TV show or I can get addicted to a behavior. And that's why we constantly do, um, the work and work our 12 steps. Um, it's not just like a one and done thing. Um, and just minding how my thoughts are minding, like my actions that follow those thoughts and, um, making sure I'm not selfish, which, being of service to other people is a big thing to help me make sure that I'm not being too selfish and self-centered. Um, yeah. Yeah. I imagine consistent check-ins with yourself and, um, honesty with yourself and self-trust. I feel like I had talked about that on a a previous episode about, I don't remember, but self-trust came up and that, that's, I think something that a lot of people struggle with, but I can imagine that this is a big area, um, yeah. coming into situations where you're like, especially maybe in the beginning of your sobriety, right. Um, right. Can I go to this event? And, um, it's about finally letting go of those restrictions to where yeah. it's so restricting that it's scary. Right. And like, I have the freedom today to know that I can go anywhere that I want to. And I won't, um, I won't be triggered by the environment. And now that I'm removed from the substances, I know that I can, I can go to that live music and I'm not going to be thinking about how I'm planning my drinking or what, you know, the night is going to bring and what I might say or who I might hurt. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's a freedom that I never, like I kind of said earlier, I didn't deserve things. It's a freedom that I never thought that I deserved or I would ever get life looked bleak and it's not bleak at all today. Do you, you believe you deserve it now? Absolutely. Absolutely. This podcast episode is sponsored by Birch Notes. Birch Notes is your new favorite electronic health record. Birch Notes is everything your current EHR wishes it could be. Not only is it affordable, but it's extremely easy to use and it leaves all professionals stress-free. Birch Notes allows you to schedule group or individual appointments. They even give you the option to book recurring appointments, making it easier on you and your clients. People get busy and forget about their set appointment times, but with Birch Notes, clients will receive automated reminders saving you time. Birch Notes offers an easily accessible and secure telehealth platform. They have all the tools you need in one software. 
This software was made and designed with the professionals in mind. Birchnote's goal is to make every therapist's work life more productive and manageable so that they can get to what's most important, focusing on their clients. Birchnotes offers easy communication with their customer service team. You will get fast response to any and all software questions in order to keep your practice running as efficiently as possible. Birchnotes offers so much it's impossible to say it all. So schedule a demo on their website, www.birchnotes.com. That's B-I-R-C-H notes.com. So you can see for yourself the benefits of switching to Birchnotes. Okay, so um, how can we as a society, we talked a little bit about earlier uh, about um, doing our own research and being more comfortable with being uncomfortable, but how can we become more understanding of the struggles of addiction? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the main thing, and it sounds kind of just like blunt to say it, but educate yourself. You know, if you have, if you have an ounce of like care about other people in the world, like it's not going to hurt you to just read up on what addiction really is, you know, and be able to put aside your um, preconceived notions and just read about it, you know, and um, look up resources and read people's stories. There's tons of stuff on the internet about um, recovery today. I mean, we live in a wonderful age where this information can get around. It's easily accessible. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, educating yourself, being a little bit, um, more open-minded, uh, to those that struggle. If you know somebody that is struggling or has struggled, reach out to them, you know, like I would not mind if people reached out to me just, you know, if they were inquisitive about it. Um, because I don't, I don't want somebody to have less of a chance of recovery because, they don't have support from people around them, you know? Um, so yeah, just simply educate yourself. And it sounds, it sounds really just blunt to say, but it's true. that's the main part, you know? Yeah. And honestly, it might not be affecting you directly. Um, right. Maybe right now, even, um, exactly. yeah. but even just watch how you speak on it because right. there are people around you that, that, uh, have been affected by addiction, whether directly or secondary. And it's just, if you're not, um, educated on the subject enough, then, then just don't speak on it Right. for now until you, until you do your due diligence and your research. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you said, like, you might not be affected or know anybody yet by it because like addiction, substance abuse, alcoholism, um, is, widespread, you know, unfortunately. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of time before, you know, somebody that struggles with it. So why not be educated about it and be able to be a helpful resource? Exactly. You know? Through your whole lifetime, you're not going to meet one right. person. Right. <laughs> so like, I mean, I don't know how long anyone plans on living here, but like, yeah, <laughs> if it's a while, then you might as well. Right. Um, so my last question that I had for you um, is if you could tell your past self anything right now, what would it be? Yeah. Um, hmm. So the first thing that came to my mind was to accept help when it was offered to me. Um, but like with that, I firmly believe that, you know, people find recovery and they hit their bottom when it's time. 
Um, like, like I said, like I got sober for the first time when I was 20 and I did want help then, but I wasn't ready. It wasn't in the cards for me, um, to really start my journey then. Um, but still, I wish I would have accepted help along the way. Um, also to not be so hard on myself. Um, I, I don't think that I was, I don't think that me being hard on myself caused my substance abuse issues, but there was a lot, I mentioned this earlier, there was a lot of self-deprecation and a lot of self-sabotage happening and, um, coupled with a lot of depression. Um, but I just wish I learned to love myself and learned that I deserved a better life sooner. Um, I'm glad that I found it at the age of 24, you know, because there's yeah. some people that go their whole lives without um, having those revelations. And um, this question almost always also made me think um, that I wouldn't change any of my past, even though it's been a hard road. If, if I were to change my past, I wouldn't be who I am today and I wouldn't be where I am today. And the life I live today and who I am today is somebody I never thought that I would be. And I'm in a place I never thought that I would be. So I wouldn't change any of it. You know, and that might, that might sound crazy to some people that are listening or watching to this. Um, Cause they would, they're probably like, why, why wouldn't you change you being a, a, an addict or anything? And it's because it's part of my journey. It, it's made me who I am today and I'm stronger for it and I can help other people. You know, it's, it's part of my purpose in life. And that goes into that spiritual side that definitely takes to get into that mindset. Right. And it's, um, I I appreciate you and your vulnerability and just being so honest, because I know that this isn't, I I think it becomes easier with time to discuss since, you know, you get to discuss it a lot with the people around you. And, um, but I think it's important for people who don't talk about it. Um, to hear and to experience through someone who's experienced it. Yeah, for sure. So thank you. Absolutely. And, um, do you, do you have anything else to add? I think so we really covered it. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. Well, thank you again for being on today. I, I hope that I feel like it went by quickly, but I feel yeah. like there was just so much intertwined in this right. episode and um, hopefully, you know, I have a substance abuse class coming up, um, I think fall or next spring Cool. and hopefully I can give a little bit, uh, more on this as well and be able to keep in contact with you a little more as well. Absolutely. Thank you All for right. your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Today's music was written and produced by Tyler O'Brien. You can find him on Instagram at Dreamscape, D-R-E-A-M-S-C-A-P-E, and follow his band at Wastelander underscore band on Instagram.